0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Bottled in China. I'm your host, Emily Steichenborn, and this is the podcast where we talk about wine, food, beer, and so much more happening from halfway around the world. Did you know that in the U.S., we use over 100 million plastic utensils per day? Or how about 500 million plastic straws every single day? Crazy, right? Well, today we speak to Cassia Patel, the program director at Oceanic Global Foundation, about a plastic-free hospitality. We discuss cost-effective and efficient sustainable plastic alternatives that you can integrate into your venue or even adopt small little practices that are really impactful habits in your everyday life. Well, everybody, let's get started. But before that, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Bottled in China, or you can follow us on our blog at BottledinChina.com. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. Today I'm with Cassia. Cassia, welcome to the episode. You're now in New York, actually, as we speak, but you lived previously in Hong Kong and now you're out to change the world and also help reduce plastic single use consumption. So, welcome to the episode. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, for everybody listening, can you kind of explain what you do with the Oceanic Standard and how you got into, you know, fighting for? Limiting plastic waste consumption?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, for a quick background, I'm currently the program director at Oceanic Global, which is a nonprofit that engages new audiences in ocean conservation, really focused on driving scalable behavior change with two primary pillars of action one at the community level and one at the industry level. So, within that, we have our program, the Oceanic Standard, to engage businesses in implementing sustainable operations. So, that's what we'll spend most of today talking about. And my background is more in the realm of STEM and research biology, but I was drawn to Oceanic Global because I wanted to break out of the sphere of academia and infrastructure and actually engage with policy reform, engage with the public discourse, and actually work directly with industry and with businesses who may not otherwise identify as part of the environmental movement. But truly, if we are humans on earth, I do believe that we are environmentalists and there's a huge role and opportunity for industry, especially the hospitality industry to really drive a lot of the positive change that we need to see in this arena.
0: That's fascinating. Now, can you tell us a little bit, I read about your story starting off in Hong Kong. Can you tell us about how you got started? I mean, you were super young back then, but it seems like that was also Kind of always something that you were doing. Can you share that story with us a little bit more in detail with the Hong Kong story?
1: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, so I did grow up in Hong Kong, and which is an incredible and beautiful place for, for those who have been. There is a lot of issue around waste and waste management, especially as a small island. Primarily, I grew up on Hong Kong Island itself. So I was surrounded by the impacts that I could see directly of bays filled with plastic, not able to go outside for recess when the air pollution index was too high. And so I immediately saw the impacts that we were having on our planet and wanted to take action from a younger age. So I was able to get involved and actually ban single-use plastic water bottles uh, at my middle school when I was in sixth grade with with a group of students and passionate teachers and faculty. So that was really incredible to have that success story at that stage. We're also able to rally the community to implement a glass recycling program. So spend a couple weekends going door to door for businesses on the boardwalk and collecting these glass bottles until we were able to make a case for the, the government to actually take that on a couple of years later. So it was an incredible community effort there and in, in grassroots momentum. So that was amazing. But I do think that there is. I was really inspired by the ability that each of us has to create change as I saw that in Hong Kong. And I think Hong Kong was a really great lab almost for to, to see how that could could be realized because it is so it, it's small enough that you can really engage with the different stakeholders needed to take action. So I think that was. Yeah. So that, that definitely set me down my path. And growing up on an island, I long had an appreciation for the ocean and, and the beauty and the mystery that it that it has and, and our integral reliance on ocean health as well. Right. That's absolutely fascinating.
0: I mean, and this is just a question on your own perspective. Do you feel like Hong Kong today is in a much better position for recycling and also waste management than it was when you were, you know, back in sixth grade a while back?
1: Yeah, I think the conversation has uh, in in many surprising ways developed. Of course, there's still more room to do as well as globally. But we're we're now having we're now seeing groups that are coming out with ways to manage food waste and food donation, which was not even a conversation at all earlier in, you know, breaching some of those concerns around liability or, or or health as well. So that's really incredible. And I think that the glass recycling program has now grown. And so that's now officially taken on by the government and available in more regions as well as in some of the downtown areas. So that's certainly a success. I do think that there's, of course, there's more room to grow in in the way that we're thinking about the infrastructure around waste management and and how that is and how that takes place in Hong Kong but I haven't been a part of the sphere there as intensely as when I lived there so I would have to check in to see how some of that movement has grown but I definitely we're seeing more restaurants and businesses that are coming out with zero waste policies that are using reusable ware and uh, there's an incredible restaurant there called Mana uh, which is, offers fully plant-based cuisine and also they they've been really driving the zero waste movement in Hong Kong and we're seeing more and more businesses that are inspired by that approach and adopting that. And, you know, I think, especially in a place like Hong Kong, you used to see everything wrapped in single use plastics, everything was disposable. And so it's really, it's quite incredible to see how that is shifting also in consumer demand and the way that people speak about the issue as well.
0: That's actually, you know, one of my favorite restaurants in the world is Manna, because I, I absolutely love plant-based food. And you're so right. And I think that that, you know, they were actually open for quite a while, I would say maybe yeah. what eight years, nine years, probably, or longer than that. Mm-hmm. And just for everybody who is listening from abroad, Manna is, again, plant-based. And when you go in, everything is, you have all like organic, even just composable, wear, as well as just, you know, forks and knives are all made out of wood. So there's just so much, you know, that was, I think the first positive step. And now I see a lot more restaurants diving into the vegan scene. And not only that, but just, you know, offering a more sustainable packaging option, just as you mentioned before. Yeah, that's fascinating really great to see what's going on. And it's just, it's due for that, right? I feel like we've all been watching this, but we haven't really been able to make a huge difference. And I think now people are starting to realize that they can make these changes in their own
1: space. Definitely. Yeah. And I think so with the Oceanic Standard, more broadly, we do begin with this conversation around plastics and waste and how we can reduce single-use plastics, improve waste management, because there is so much growing global attention on this issue as well. So it's a really great gateway to then speak about other actions with so much political momentum, consumer demand. We are seeing customers really using their ability on reviews and uh, in where they choose to spend their money as well, um, directly correlating to sustainability ethos and to their values directly as well. So We do start with plastics and waste and then can from there speak more about energy, water consumption, sustainable food procurement, waste water management for those in the hotel industries, as well as emissions reductions and beyond. So it is a really good launch point because it's also so tangible and so physical. So guests and consumers can immediately see that shift and celebrate that success more so than with something that's more infrastructural or behind the scenes.
0: Well, that's fascinating. Now, I do want to turn my attention to exactly what you're mentioning, which is the hospitality sector. So, the Oceanic Standard does actually have, I would say, almost kind of a white paper, and also a lot of research that's been done on how you know they can promote and also support the hospitality nightlife for all the different things that you just mentioned above. And I read some really fascinating stats that I'm just going to read out, and then I want your opinion on them. I heard, as you guys mentioned, eight million metric tons of plastics end up in the ocean. I mean, that's just fascinating and mind blowing when you read these stats and it just thinks about you just have to go and think not only is this bad for the fish, but we're eating these fish in the oceans. Can you dive into that about how that's going through into our food systems today?
1: Absolutely. And yeah, thank you for that for that opening, because I think that's really important to consider. So globally, on average, a garbage truckload of plastic enters our ocean every 60 seconds. So every minute. And that's really an incredible amount. And as that plastic is entering our ocean, it's breaking down into smaller and smaller pieces called microplastics as it's exposed to UV radiation from the sun to wind and to wave action. Um, And as it breaks down into these smaller pieces, it can then be eaten by plankton, which are eaten by fish and larger fish and accumulating up the food chain because it's not digested and ending up in larger quantities in the seafood that ends up on our plates. We're also seeing plastic contamination in salt from the sea, uh, in beer, in drinking water. So plastic contamination has been found in 83% of drinking water worldwide. In the US, that number is actually higher. That's 94%. So a study recently estimated that on average, we're consuming a credit card's worth of microplastics every week. So no way,
0: you can think about oh that can you pull out your credit card? <laughs> no way, I mean, I got okay, so I didn't hear that stat, and that is absolutely mind blowing and it's just, it just makes you kind of feel sick, right? It's just when yeah. you think about how much you are ingesting, and yeah, you are right. you just mentioned that the ninety four point four percent of tap water in the u s is contaminated by plastic fibers. It just makes you think, why are we not really moving forward on these issues? That is just mind blowing. I can't believe what you just mentioned. I kind of really do feel sick right
1: now though. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's really important to remember it. it's not just an environmental health concern because which it is, you know, it is destroying ecosystems, it's starving fish and, and having these cascading effects on different aspects of marine ecosystems, but it's also a human health issue most fundamentally. We don't know how this plastic is impacting us. A lot of it is staying in our bodies and not passing through. The plastic's also are collecting, as the microplastics travel through the water column, they act as magnets for the other chemicals we've dumped into the water. So other toxic chemicals are hitching a ride, essentially, on these microplastics, and again, making their way into our bodies. And so, so I just do think it's really important, as we frame this issue, that it's it's ultimately something that really significantly impacts human health as well. And so it does require urgent action. And like you said, I think with if more people are aware of, of what's ongoing and what's happening, we can rally and, and we can change this pretty quickly. So plastic pollution, the mass production of plastics only really began about 60 years ago. And in many parts of the world, it's only been introduced even in an even shorter timeframe than that. So it's essentially a design flaw because we're creating products out of this material that's designed to last forever, but for products that are only used once and then thrown away. So we can definitely design a solution to this issue and we have the power to change that. So I think that's something that we can change really quickly, which is why it's also a great point to start on. And, and there's a lot of success stories around that as well.
0: So what are some things, for example, people that are listening to that and just hearing the facts, of course, you know, that's going in our water, in our fish, it's going and it's impacting the entire ecosystem. What if you are somebody in like as an f manager or a director or somebody who's in charge of a hotel? And can you tell us a little bit more about the Oceanic Standard and what you guys are recommending to do in the space of hospitality and nightlife?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So the Oceanic Standard is a... There's three primary components to the program. One is industry specific as well as region specific resources that, that Emily had referred to previously. So, we, we do have these research backed editions that we actually worked with our Board of Scientific Advisors to curate and create, which include information on policy for different regions, uh, waste management infrastructure, as well as solution providers and haulers and uh, some of the specific logistical details available within each region. And then we also go through item by item outlining straws, cups, bottles, cutlery, takeaway containers, both front of house and back of house, uh, and linking directly through to vendors that are offering sustainable alternatives. So we began in the hospitality industry, really targeting hotels, bars, cafes, restaurants, and from there have grown the program to also engage further with the nightlife venues, with festivals uh, more significantly in the music industry as well, also engaging artists. We do have resources for office spaces, so more corporate office spaces. Uh, We also provide support to students who are impacting change at their institutions and their schools and communities and beyond. And more recently, we've launched a program to engage with the world of professional sports. So really tackling these large-scale sporting venues and events, stadiums and tournaments, and operating on that much larger scale and interfacing directly with the food service providers there to see how we can really really create this scalable and impactful change. So there are the resources that have that information. We also provide a consulting service. So we'll actually come into a business, conduct an assessment, of their procurement and waste management uh, strategy. So we'll actually come in and and create an itemized list of everything that that a business is sourcing and understand which items are single-use plastics, what are the quantities, who are the suppliers, so that we can figure out how we can connect that business with solutions, ideally within their existing budget, demand, and uh, streamlined procurement process. But then for anything that's not available from an existing procurement process, we're able to connect with our growing network of sustainable vendors. We currently work with two over 200 sustainable vendors globally that are providing some of these solutions for the different categories that i mentioned we also do as a part of that assessment dive into the waste management signage the bin design employee training um, the waste haulers as i had mentioned to really see what is currently happening and as we make recommendations for items like straws cups and bottles we consider the waste management infrastructure available both in the business but also in the local context to see what solutions really make sense a lot of what we focus on is actually cutting through greenwashing so as we mentioned this is a rapidly growing field which is really exciting and, and a lot of, there's so much innovation currently in the space to find alternatives to single use plastics humans are incredible and creative but we do need to be conscious that not all of these solutions work in every case which is why we're really intentional to align the product with the waste management infrastructure a few pieces of language and in terms that we're sure we make sure to define every time we work with a new business is in the realm of compostable plastics so I'd like to briefly share a few definitions, if, if that's okay. So, the first is biodegradable. The term biodegradable actually has no definition, it has no time scale associated. So, you and I are biodegradable. Eventually, we'll break down into organic or digestible components, but there's really not a specific time frame associated. So, actually, the state of California banned that term uh, to describe products because it's misleading. So it could be wonderful, but it also could it could be misleading. Another term is bioplastics or bio-based plastics. So that means that they're made out of plant-based materials, but it has no definition on, on the waste treatment of that product. It could be compostable, it could be recyclable, it could have to go to landfill because in many cases it's actually a hybrid of bio-based plastic as well as conventional plastic. And so depending on the product, the way that it was made, and the local infrastructure, it, it might not be able to be treated. And so the final category, which is within that, is compostable plastics. And so these are products that actually have a certification. There's a certification body associated. They've been tested. But in many cases, they've been tested in conditions of high heat with microorganisms over an extended period of time. Uh, depending on your region, there's different certification bodies. Here in the US, we have the BPI series of certifications in the Europe. In Europe, it's actually a little bit stricter and falls along different standards, but essentially Many of these compostable plastics, and so the here's where you really have to look into the certification and the level, need to be treated in a commercial composting facility, which again has high heat. And some in some cases it can take over six months for these products to break down at those temperatures. So We would not consider that a solution for an area that doesn't have access to a commercial composting facility. And those products need to be separately collected and taken to that treatment facility. So just want to outline that. And and that's one of the ways that we can help businesses cut through greenwashing. From our end, we really do have a hierarchy of Priority. We encourage businesses to implement reusable models wherever possible. We're seeing some really incredible and exciting innovations there around reusable cup models that are being implemented in festivals and at the stadium level, as well as reusable coffee cup models. So actually, Blue Bottle Coffee here in New York City is just embarking in a partnership with a company called globalit that's able to provide these reusable coffee cups and to have a return system so that it's a network of all these different coffee coffee shops that are able to accept back these reusable mugs and and guests get a discount for returning their mugs. So there's ways that we can begin to grow that infrastructure, especially at a municipality-wide level as well. Alternatively, we understand that disposables are required in many cases. And so within that, we recommend items such as aluminum, which are highly recyclable. So that's actually how the Super Bowl here in Miami, uh, just in in, in this past February, was able to be nearly plastic-free because they were using balls, aluminum cups, and collecting those for recycling as well. We also primarily, though, we would recommend anything that's fiber-based, paper, cardboard, wooden, bamboo, that can be earth digestible, so that if it ends up in the environment, for lack of infrastructure or for falling through the system, as it were, uh, it it would be non-invasive and it it wouldn't be as destructive as alternatives. So Ideally, the the waste could be properly managed. But those are the ways that we do do create a hierarchy of preferred solutions and work with businesses because every business in every region is different. So we found this really needs to take more of a case-by-case approach, which is why we do provide that consulting. And that consulting is an ongoing conversation and seeing what solutions fit, how do we meet demand and budget. And with our network of 200 sustainable vendors, we've actually secured a lot of purchasing deals and discount codes and and wholesale opportunities so that this can be more cost efficient and streamlined for businesses. Another case study there is that we've worked with businesses beginning with straws. The straws is a really great place to start because it's something that in many cases are not needed for majority of the population. And so you can always opt a straw upon request policy. And so only provide straws for guests that are asking for them, uh, which of course reduces quantity. We have been able to work with businesses in, in transitioning businesses from plastic to paper straws, but then offering them only upon request so that they're actually using a third of what they had previously been using. And so even though the paper straw is is slightly more expensive, they're able to recoup that by only by reducing the quantities that they're going through. And so we've seen that be successful with with freehold here in Brooklyn. Uh, We've actually are working with Sandals Resorts International. So working with all 19 locations across seven Caribbean islands to fully eliminate single use plastics, which is something that we're on track for and headed into the summer here But we began by tackling and eliminating single-use plastic straws and stirrers. So the other reason that we ask for quantities when we work with businesses is so that we can gather these impact metrics and really measure the success of our program. So with Sandals, by eliminating straws, we were actually able to divert 21.5 million single-use plastic straws from the waste stream every year, which has been really incredible. And again, getting them onto a paper solution that's only upon request. So those are just a couple of examples. And then... That's the consultation program. The final piece of the program is our badge verification system. So as we work with businesses, we conduct the assessment, but then we create sustainability goals and we align those to the different badges that we offer. So we offer four tiers of badges. Uh, The first is straw free for a business that eliminates single use plastic straws. The second is sustainability steward for a business that eliminates three forms of single use plastics, which could include straws. Uh, The third is ocean champion for a business that eliminates six forms of single use plastics and also implements a waste management strategy, whether that's recycling, composting, food donation. And the final badge is our plastic free badge, which is awarded to businesses that eliminate single use plastics in their front of house and back of house and focusing on what the business has agency over. So not looking at items that are arriving in plastic packaging, but focusing on what is served and stored on site. So hopefully that can provide a little bit more uh, of the scope of our work. And and one other aspect I'd I'd love to mention quickly is that a lot of our work with businesses has actually supported directly policy reform, both in showing governments that businesses are ready to take action, that marketable alternatives exist, which is how we've been engaging here with with the New York City City Council as well, just in demonstrating that businesses are already making these these shifts and, and supporting them with that. We've also supported... In regions like Barbados, where they passed a nationwide ban on single use plastics in July of last year. And we went down prior to that ban in March, actually, to host an event for the hospitality industry with an eco marketplace of all the locally available solutions the water filtration systems, the composting, the wooden cutlery, the fiber based solutions, so that businesses could be, touch and feel what these solutions looked like, and so that we could educate them around greenwashing, and also just to make them aware that this ban was upcoming so that they felt prepared. So there are a few different elements of the program there.
0: Wow, that's absolutely fantastic. And what I think really speaks to everybody is that you guys provide a case by case. And I think what I did enjoy from what you were just mentioning is that not you know, you're saying, what can we do and how can you still work and be sustainable in your business without forcing upon all these regulations and not taking into account the reality of the business matter? And I think that's so important because all of us feel a need to make money, of course, when you are running a business and especially in hospitality. And a lot of us also feel we want to help and support the environment. And I love how you guys are coming in and again, case by case. I actually learned a couple of things. I just want to, you know, underline what you've mentioned. I love that. I did not know that you know degradable actually is not compostable, and that's interesting and and it's funny how even today i've i guess I've just been brainwashed and I guess you know being more in the wine industry, not really in the in your industry, I did not even know that. And it's a little bit shocking because I always assumed that I was helping the environment by choosing cutlery that was biodegradable. And in fact, that's that's actually not the case. that I probably wasn't doing much of a favor to anybody. And I also learned that styrofoam takeaway containers are not recyclable. And I guess I kind of always assumed that, but I never really looked into it And it's really fascinating because anybody listening, if you go onto onto the Oceanic standard, you're going to see that the information that you do provide are the solutions. I like how you're not just stating these, you're giving everybody the solutions on what they can do. You mentioned paper straws. You also mentioned that going just into using bamboo cutlery, all these little things, I think, make an impact at the end of the day. You know, another thing I want to ask you about, Cassia, is when we look at businesses, is it overall sustainable on an economic stand front to be using, you know, to be switching over to all the things that you guys mentioned, you know, going from plastic straws to bamboo and going from, you know, plastic cutlery to something else. Is that overall a sustainable and economic factor to take into for hospitality industry?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And thank you for thank you for addressing that. Because I think in many cases sustainability can often be seen as something that's more expensive and it can be aligned with a more elitist movement and absolutely understand and can hear that. I think at its core, if we're really able to implement practices in an ideal state, we're really reducing the amount of consumption, right? So that should also be a more cost effective and more long-lasting measure as well which is why we do advocate for reusables wherever possible because ultimately that will pay off and that will be cheaper and save the on these more regular expenses in some of those specific cases so for plastic straws there's a whole host of different solutions you can get paper straws you can get pasta you can get hay you can get bamboo you can get seaweed people are actually being quite creative with how you can find some of these solutions and certainly Some are more expensive than others. Bamboo items will always be more expensive than wooden items. What we are seeing, though, is that the wooden items and in many cases for cutlery, the wooden items and the compostable plastics are at the same level. So at least for a business that's looking for an alternative, these should be relatively on par and are more available on mainstream and existing distribution platforms, such as in the US, uh, it's very common to use US Foods or Imperial here in, in New York. And some of these food service providers that I've mentioned as well, we're actually working on the stadiums front with groups like Aramark and Levy Restaurants and Centerplate from Sodexo. And so these companies actually all have R&D arms and are really looking into and exploring alternatives to single-use plastics that they can be able to offer at scale and at cost parity to their existing community and clientele. So it, it's definitely, it's a realm that's growing. And I think as it grows further, pushed by support from policy, those prices will continue to go down. Because I think as with anything, once you do with a new market, you, you do need to, to wait for that initial R&D phase and and the prices will settle. So we're, we are seeing, it's also a risk management strategy for many of these countries that do have plastics policy because there are fines and fees associated with maintaining operations with single use plastics. So that's also something that we do lean into when we work with businesses and saying, this plastics policy is upcoming. This is what it would cost if you maintain your current operations. But if you do transition, we can find this deal at this price. And in the long run, this will actually pay off for you. So I think the business case is a really important aspect. And actually on our work with stadiums, and I I do mention this just because it's, it's at such a large scale. So we're able to really quantify some of these aspects. We are working in collaboration with Accenture and they've actually helped us create a business model so we can really fine tune what it costs for a stadium to go plastic free um, and looking at those granular costs and differences. In many cases, also the waste management piece can recoup some of the finances. So if you're diverting material from landfill to recyclables or to to waste streams that you can receive money back for materials, then you can actually divert funds from paying for the hauling and shipping of waste to receiving money back for aluminum or cardboard, especially in regions that have more thriving uh, recycling marketplaces. So that's another aspect to keep in mind. but. I think when, when you come down to the, to the specifics of does this product cost more than an, another product, I think we are still seeing that some of these sustainable alternatives are more expensive, but there are some that are cheaper. So if you look at uh, plates, at takeaway containers, at the, at the dishware aspects, fiber-based cardboard options are still relatively on par and have been available for a long time. So it's also just choosing those options above plastics. So I hope that makes sense.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. Well, listen, Cassie, we almost have to wrap up, but what I typically do is I ask three quick questions, and you have to answer them as fast as possible. Okay. <laughs> All right. My first question is, as just a consumer in general, how can we make healthy choices and also, you know, choices to help the environment when we go out dining and when we go out to bars and restaurants?
1: So one, very quickly at the personal level, we always recommend start by just bringing your own reusable water bottle. And so that wouldn't be uh, relevant to, to going to a restaurant, but in general, throughout your day, bring a reusable water bottle and you'll see, you'll reduce your consumption of so many plastic water bottles almost immediately. When you do visit a restaurant and you see that they're implementing practices that you're impressed by, give them a shout out, give them that recognition and celebrate that with them as well so that they feel that they, are, they feel that they're being recognized for their efforts as well. And for businesses that you see could grow or could improve in their practices, provide them with resources. We actually do have business cards with QR codes that link directly to our, our resources and our site, uh, which does have freely available resources. So we can, we can share those also for those who want to direct people towards those opportunities as well.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. And of course, another question for you is just... How are you integrating this in your private life? I mean, are you also bringing your own water bottles? I mean, I've seen some people at Mana, so that's why I'm bringing it up, that actually even brought their own cutlery and brought like uh, like glass uh, containers that Mana would put the food in. They'd eat it directly from that. So I mean, how, how far are you going taking that into your private life?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So personally, I do, I do bring a reusable cutlery in, in my backpack. If I know I'm going to a coffee shop, I'll bring my mug, I'll bring my reusable water bottle um, and a small cloth shopping bag at the bottom of my bag, just in case I stop by the grocery store on my way home. I also have been excited by choosing to shop more at bulk grocery stores. And so bringing my own bags that have a tear weight on them so that you can purchase things like grains, rice, beans, lentils, quinoa. In bulk and then keeping those in larger glass jars or containers at home, and so that's been something that's been really empowering for me is reducing some of the plastics in the food that I'm purchasing as well. But I do think that one thing that's really that had started a while back, but that changed my practices a lot, was just bringing a small travel size cutlery set. As a traditional New Yorker, I'm often on the run and eating as I go, <laughs> and so having that small cutlery set with me uh, is a really good place to start. Rather than you know, glass containers can be heavy. There are some stainless steel alternatives and and some, some smaller and more compact lunch boxes you can bring. But starting just with the fork, knife, spoon chopsticks, I've always had chopsticks and a nice little cloth wrap up in my bag. And that's been an easy way to start. Wow, that's fascinating. And of course, how can we get in touch
0: with you? How can we find out more about the Oceanic Standard? And for everybody listening, how can they get involved?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our website is oceanic.global, and under the solutions tab, you'll see more about everything that we've mentioned here about the Oceanic Standard and uh, ways to reach out and, and get in touch and to learn more about the the program and the badge system. We're on socials at oceanic.global as well, and I love that you alluded to our approach earlier. We really are very solution oriented, so our hashtags are actually "Our Choices Matter" and be part of the solution. So really focusing on how we can leverage. Each of the opportunity and the power that we have to drive positive change in our own lives, in our business, in the places that we travel, in our communities and beyond. Fantastic. Thank you so much,
0: Cassia, for joining us. Everybody listening, I mean, I hope that you're inspired by this conversation. Cassia, you provided so much insight and so many tips on how we can all better our planet. And, you know, the tips that you mentioned at the end are so easy to do, right? Bring a paper bag or, you know, a cloth bag if you're going to go shopping and just be a little bit more prepared and it can go a long way. So thank you so much, Cassia, for all the tips and all the insights. Absolutely. And thank you, Emily, for having me.